Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Talking USMLE podcast. My name is Dr. Paul. If this is your first time visiting, let me take this opportunity to welcome you to the show. Whether you're in pre-med, med school, or you're just looking for some tips on productivity, inspiration, motivation, and becoming successful, you're in the right place. Before we dive in, please do me a huge favor and let us know how we're doing by leaving us a rating. Five stars if you're enjoying the show. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive in to today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. My name is Dr. Paul. I'm here with Dr. Stavros. Today we are answering some of your Reddit questions. You guys submit great questions. We want to give you great answers. Before we dive in though, do us a huge favor, hit that like button below. We would greatly appreciate it. While you're at it, you may as well subscribe, set up notifications, and we'll send you brand new alerts every time we release a new video. All right, Doc, let's dive in with today's first question, which is from Hold My Ophthalmoscope. Beautiful. All right, anesthesia versus internal medicine title. I am MS4 and I'm still debating between anesthesia and IF. Okay, so it's a little lengthy one. Anesthesia. I did a rotation anesthesia and love the ventilators, anesthetics, and thinking, go, and, and thinking goes into it. I, re- I read an anesthesia review book before starting rotation, loved every single words from that book. I enjoyed the morning lectures, cardiac physiology. However, I, have, I had this feeling of loneliness sitting next to the resident on the other side of the curtain after the induction. As someone who loves talking and interacting with patients, I do too, I am not sure how I would feel sitting down, pushing meds, observing vitals, even though the thinking process is to me very exhilarating. However, I can go into pain and have patient interaction, which occur, which opens up doors for good lifestyle and amazing pay. The second one, internal medicine. Most of my rotations have been, inter- have been internal med. I like the idea of sitting down with a patient, building that relationship, asking old Becky how her grandchildren are doing and whatnot. I think most of the medical education studying for steps during med school pushes us towards, period. However, I did not enjoy learning about all the details about different pathologies, dosage of drugs, following up labs, or detailing or dealing with insurance companies. Kind of tired of seeing CHF, COPD, exacerbation, and diabetes, uh, diabetic neuropathy patients. Also, I'm concerned about the lifestyle, burning out and spending more years fellowship. I am currently 30 years old. Thank you for telling us that. So bottom line, I like learning about anesthesia, about all that stuff and doing procedures, but I also enjoy practicing IM. So I was wondering if anyone has similar thinking during fourth year and what do they do when they end up picking? Thank you if you took the time to read this, read my post. You wanna jump on this? this. Yeah, I like this post. Um, So I did an interview with uh, Medumentary, Dr. Miller uh, a few months back and she, she said she got some really good advice from uh, a resident she worked with. And that was think of the most monotonous thing that you will do as a X. So anesthesiologist versus an internal med doc internist. What's the most boring thing you would do day to day? And would you be comfortable doing that for the rest of your life? So I would, whoever's asked, whoever's asking this question or anyone who's in the same predicament, I would say, ask yourself, what's the most boring thing you did during anesthesia? And would you be okay doing that for you know the next 20, 30 years? Same thing with internal med. What's the most boring thing you do with internal med? Probably what you just said here, you know, following up with labs and, and doing, you know, dosage, like remembering dosages of drugs, dealing with insurance companies, and ask yourself, would you be okay doing that? 
based on the gut feeling I get from this, it sounds to me like anesthesia is probably something you're more geared towards because you said you love ventilators, anesthetics, and the thinking that goes into it. Very heavy with physiology and understanding how the body works. I didn't really get that you have a passion for the minutia of internal medicine. Whereas if you say you love ventilators, I mean, I think you just answered your own question. Now, with that said, don't forget, yes, part of your job is going to be sitting there, keeping the patient alive. And that there's not a lot of talking that might go on during that, in that whole time because you need to really focus on the patient. But outside of that, before you meet the patient or before you uh, go into surgery, you get to sit with the patient. You can talk to them. You can get to know them a little bit. And then after you get to interact with them as well, as you bring them out of anesthesia, as they're recovering, you get to deal with them and talk to them a lot as well. And every day you get to see someone new. So if you really like to meet people, you can, you know, meet a lot of new people. And there's also a lot of different things you could do with, with anesthesia. If you like the, the, the patient interaction in an ongoing basis, like you said, you could do pain management. You can have someone come in. But don't forget, someone who comes in for pain management is probably in a lot of pain. So that might not always be the most pleasant interaction. You know, someone who's got crippling back pain or severe knee pain, and they're not there to just, you know, shoot the breeze about, you know, their grandchildren. They want the pain meds because they can barely move. So there's always going to be pros and cons to every single specialty. I would just say what makes you, the thought of being an anesthesiologist, the good and the bad, does that excite you? The thought of being an internist, does that excite you, the good and the bad? Whatever really makes you feel like when you wake up in the morning, you'd be most excited to do, I would say go towards that because, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, you can always switch, but it's better to figure it out and go into something you're going to appreciate um, long term because it's going to be a lot less of a hassle for you. What do you think, Doc? How would your thought process work here? I mean, it's, it's a little bit of both. I'll tell you why. Anesthesia is great. Think of it this way. Residency is residency, but when you're done, like I'll give you an example. When I did GI as an elective, I did endoscopies, colonoscopies, ERCPs, MRCPs. Anesthesia was awesome because, I mean, a typical EGD is maybe five to seven minutes and a colonoscopy, if it's routine, 15, 20. So it's not a long procedure. Now, if you want to do anesthesia, you want to do a surgery and surgeries, like larger ones, CT surgery, where it could be five, seven, nine hours, then yeah, you're there for nine hours, right? So there's a big difference in that. So please don't, don't, don't review or summarize all of anesthesia that way because you can choose your profession or your subspecialty wisely to kind of choose that. IM is great. However, if you're not going to fellow, if you're not going to do a fellowship, you might realize that you have all the interaction of the patients, but it's that comfort of building relationships. However, you'll be referring a lot to, to different specialties, right? Cardiology, nephrology, and so on. So I would say if you have the time, do a couple sub-I's if you haven't already to really get a feel, to kind of really understand exactly what you see yourself doing, because there's definitely pros and cons in both. Money is money. I did. That's on you. I can't say about amazing pay because it depends upon where you go and how you go. But like what Dr. Paul said, you know, this is a, a choice for your life, for your, for your future. You can always transfer, but that's like last resort. You want to be happy. You want to wake up every morning say, you know what? I'm looking forward to going to work. Granted, the hours are long with each one you choose, but you have a family, you have kids one day. Think of how happy you want to be. So hope that helps. If not, reach out to us, right? You can always reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook. Love to give you help the best we can. Great answer. All right. Next up, we have research experience for IMGs. So 
there's uh, two parts, three parts. Yeah, three parts. Number one, as a clinical year IMG, so third, fourth year, I'm assuming, uh, who have hardly research-related work scope in his or her country, how can he, she get experience in the aforementioned situation? All right, so number two is, is AFP possible for an IMG? Number three, is there any way how an IMG can acquire experience in research? All right, Doc, what do you think? Um, okay. So, want to tackle these one at a time? Yeah, let's go. So the first one is clinical IMG, hardly research-related work scope. How can get experience? So if you're, if you're in the country, and obviously back home is different. If you can get research back home, it's a similar concept, right? Reach out to doctors, see what availability there is for research, volunteer work. Granted, sometimes you might not be able to get any research. Lately, because of the pandemic, people are doing things online. Uh, even students and doctors in the States here who are IMGs, U.S. versus non-U.S. IMGs having difficulty. At the end of the day, if you need research, you have to do the research to find the spots. Some are paid, some are not. Are you just pushing papers? Are you just putting numbers in? Or is it research related to the specialty of your choosing for residency, right? If you want to do internal versus family. Because we want you, if you're applying for residency one day, to have the research or the volunteer work that's going to highlight who you are as a candidate for that specialty. You don't want to just choose a research just to do it because it might not be as, as valuable as you think it is. So, and it's, if it's back home in your country, it's like, it's hard, right? You have to just network. Yeah. I mean, you have to, or else you can't make something out of nothing. If it's unavailable, it's unavailable. So I hope that helps. So number two, is AFP possible for an IMG? Of course it is. I mean, uh, again, this is posted five days ago, red wine, white cake. I like the white cake. So if you're talking about the conferences that they have in the United States, which are usually abundant all throughout the country at different times, you know, pre-pandemic, they're very, they're available and many medical students and IMGs would attend these conferences, talk to the different stations where the residents would be, the programs, and then crisscross business cards, you know, talk and connect with people, networking. Being now there's a lot of virtual conferences involved. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to attend. You just have to do the research online, Google a couple information, figure out how to attend and, and what the requirements are from there and you'll be fine. So. And then number three, Doc, you got this one? Sure. Is there any way how an IMG can acquire experience in research? Uh, research opportunities are like any other opportunities. You look for them or you can just ask people you know yeah. if they are involved in projects or if they are uh, in contact with anyone who's doing any projects. So, you know, this is why we always talk about networking. And this is why we actually have a networking program. There's a link in the description below if you want to check it out. If you know a lot of people because you're networking you know, on a regular basis, then let's say you've made 50 network contacts. So there's 50 people in your network. If you reached out to every single one of them and said, Hey, I'm looking for research opportunities. I really want to help somebody, uh, you know, with any projects they're working on. Do you know of anything? That's an opportunity for you to get research. Maybe, maybe they say, you know, maybe let's just say theoretically, they all say, I don't know of anyone, nor am I doing anything but let me ask around to some of my colleagues and see if they're doing anything. Then all of a sudden that 50 turns into like, let's say a hundred. Then those other people look around. You've got all these people in this wide network looking for something to help you out. And whether it's networking, whether it's, you know, getting your foot in the door for interviews, for clinical experience, networking is, is very, very powerful to allow you to find these things that you are looking for, whether you're an IMG, AMG, it doesn't matter. So I would say, Yes, there's a ton of ways you could do it. We help our students do it all the time. All the students in our residency roadmap program are getting not only research, but they're talking to chief residents 
before interview season even starts. They're talking with program directors before interview season starts based solely on our networking strategy. So there's definitely a way you just got to get out there and network and, and talk to people. There's, there's an abundance of everything. There's, no matter what it is you're looking for out there, there's an abundance of it. You just got to find it. And the way you do that is networking. So like I said, if you want help with that, check the networking um, program we offer in the description below or sign up for a call and we'll talk you through it. Uh, you know, we can help you uh, get what you need. There's, there's the right way and the wrong way, right? How many times you get uh, messages, people like, hey, can you help me? I don't even know who hey is. I don't know who you are. How can I help you? I have thousands of people reaching out to me daily. It's that word you said, slow. There's a way to approach everything. So we'll show you. It actually works amazing when you know how to do it. If oh my God. Networking, networking is so powerful. But yeah, you're right. You can't just, it's not, you don't want to spam people. And you know, some of our students, when we teach them how to network, they think we're spamming. But if you reach out to someone with good intentions and with the a value add, meaning you're adding value to them, you're not just going to take, then it's not spamming, it's networking. And you just need to know how to do that correctly. So All right. Luck. Looking forward to hear from you. Next, Next question. Yeah. Um, did okay. you... Oh, okay. No, do you want to do this one? or did, Who did the last one? Was it you or me? No, take, take it, take it, take it. All right, all right. Classes needed for med school. Hey, I was just wondering if taking a foreign language in college looks good for med school applications. I turned down the opportunity to take Espanol this semester due to the unnecessary workload for that class, especially since it's online. I have very strong opinions about this, but I'm going to let you go first and then I'll put in my two cents. Okay. Um, buzz, buzzy boy or busy boy, 99. A couple things. I speak Greek fluently, but it wasn't like I learned recently. I was born into it, Greek background. So learning a different language is great now doing it for medical school applications i mean it's kind of like well all right i mean you turned down the opportunity so why did you turn down the opportunity if you had the opportunity and it's unnecessary workload but if you think it's unnecessary workload then why would you even ask now so it's kind of weird because for me i would say spanish is a great thing to learn for the future especially if you're going to be a practicing medicine in the states because i wish yes. i learned spanish yes i unfortunately chose french i speak very little french because I, I really enjoyed it, uh, but I don't implement it daily, right? I wish I, I mean, I not wish, I, I wish I took it back then. I do know somewhat some Spanish. It would be advantageous to learn Spanish for medicine in the States. Obviously, it, it definitely looks good on your application. Um, any more languages, the better just for you because you yeah. can communicate with more patients. Like, you yeah. know, my sisters in, in, in residency, they pull her all the time to talk Greek, to speak Spanish, translate Greek, Spanish is translating multiple languages. So you're an asset. You're providing value to the program. So yes. those are my three cents, not just two. I think number one, there's a lot here. Number one, the more languages you know, the more opportunities you will get sure. and opportunities you might not even know presents yourself. Who knows? But in the, as far as your med school application, I think it looks good. But I don't think it's going to be one of those things where it's like your MCATs were low, but you know Spanish, so we're going to take you. I don't think that's what this sort of scenario is going to be. What I do think, though, is if you speak Spanish or any other language for that matter, if you're in the U.S., Spanish especially can be extremely valuable because there's a huge portion of the population, especially in the South, that speaks Spanish. If you want to go to Texas, California, Arizona, Florida, Spanish is going to be a huge asset. And if you are competing with someone and on paper, you both look fairly similar, but you speak Spanish, you're a massive asset to the hospital. Cause like Dr. Stavros, like you just said, 
they'll pull you aside and say, hey, no one can speak Spanish. And all of a sudden, you're the go-to. And if you are the go-to for something, guess what that makes you? Indispensable. That's what you want to be is indispensable. So languages can be very, very strong assets to have. Uh, you know, just like a, a, a certain skill sets in, in business can be re- like, if you know how to code, that's a very valuable skill. Speaking another language, I don't think you can ever go wrong. And honestly, Spanish isn't all that difficult to learn. If you compare it to like Russian or Polish, it's actually super simple. Obviously it's not easy, but with a little bit of repetition, a little practice, you can definitely learn it fairly quickly. Um, it's also very similar to French. So if you're French speaking or you know some French, it's very similar. So I would say, I don't think you necessarily need to, and here's another thing. I don't think you need to do a class in, uh, or even do like a minor in, in Spanish or, or any language. You can just learn it, like learn it on Babbel or any of these, these apps that you can learn a language on. And then when you apply to med school, to, to residency down the road, you can say, yeah, I speak fluent Spanish. Make sure you of course can, because that's something if they call you out on it, <laughs> you can't fake that one. But no bueno, no bueno. No, it's not, not at all. But if you have it, you don't need to prove any of these things. You just, well, you can, you need to speak it, but you don't have to say, oh yeah, I took uh, Spanish in undergrad. Just say I'm a fluent speaker of Spanish or I'm fluent in Greek. Add it to your resume. It's, it's valuable. Uh, so I would definitely say I wouldn't waste time in taking a class unless you're really, really interested in more like the culture and all those other things. But it's definitely not something I would ever overlook. And I wish I had, like, I speak French. I used to speak it fluently. Now I can speak it um, in English, but you know, I've been, putting off speaking Spanish for years. Maybe this is a little boost I need to actually jump in and do it. Um, but I would say it's a valuable asset. Do it 100%, especially since you're not even in med school yet. You have lots of time. You know, and just to add on to that, you said something about time. I mean, he said something about workload. If you're going to medical school, applying to medical school, it's going to help you with time management, right? Because you'll be in class, sure. you're learning, and adding a little extra time to invest in yourself because that's not, it's just not a, a quick skill, you're gonna use the rest of your life. And so it open up many doors. So look at it more as an investment, more than it's more like, ah, should I, could I, no, just do it and move on. That's all, so do it please. You've got so much time before you would apply to residency. You don't have to put in full-time effort. You can just do it a couple hours a week and you'll probably pretty pretty strong by the time med school rolls around or the time residency applications roll around. Do it, I would say do it, capital D-O. Do it. Now I want everything Spanish. <laughs> do it. There right. you go. Next All right, let's do one. Let's do one more. Okay. You want to go ahead? Yeah. Zan Zabi. Three days. I love these names. Three days ago. Does this count as an elective? Okay. Hey guys, I'm an IMG and took a gap in the beginning of my final year and have done six months of clinical research in a good hospital in the United States. I also attended the outpatient clinic regularly and wards with my attending, same person I was doing research with. So I asked my school about the clinical time I've spent and they accepted three months of it as my final year elective time. So I don't need to do them in my home school. But basically they are not clerkships in paper as I was a visiting research student, but in reality, I think I was. You guys recommend me to do it that anyway, or to do it that way, meaning graduating three months earlier than I expected and come to the United States earlier for a job. I am hell scared if there will be a problem when applying for a ECFMG certification. This again was posted three days ago, but my school is fine with it and I will be able to get my diploma, congrats. I'm wondering if my dean's letter includes this. Do you think it may cause a problem? So confused, exclamation, exclamation. What do you think, Doc? So this person's done, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. They did six months of clinical research. 
and they attended the outpatient clinic regularly and words with your attending, but the school's only given you three months, mm. but you think that they, but this person thinks they should get credit for six. Is that what I'm, is that correct? Yeah, I think that's what they're saying because it's like, well, they're going to give, they're going to give the credit to the, to the student. She'll be able to graduate earlier. Um, she's just concerned if it's going to be on paper as elective, as actual. Well, but if you're getting a diploma doctor, whoever this doctor is, then you, you, you've completed your curriculum and you've, you've been given the, the green light from the school, right? That's right. how I look at it. So you're done. You're yeah. good to go. Um, yeah, I mean, let's assume that that's if, if the school's saying it's okay, then go for it. Because like you said, if you get the diploma, then you're good to go. Um, now, if you're doing clinical research, and you just happen to visit the clinic within attending, but you're not actually doing actual patient work, then it's not a clinical. That's like saying if I'm in a surgery rotation, but you know, uh, my buddy's in the ER, so I spend half my days down there talking to him. Oh, I've done an ER. No. Yeah, you guys can't like fudge these these facts to sort of fit it into your own narrative. That's not how it works. Um, so, as far as accepting that that's a clinical rotation, no, not at all. You did you can't you can't get credit for two things at the same time. You were doing research. You weren't doing clinicals. It doesn't matter if you visited the 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 clinical uh, the clinic every day, or you were you know walking the wards and you happened to stumble into a few rooms. Unless you're doing the work in that specific specialty or that specific area, it doesn't count. Plain and simple. And the reason we're saying that, Doctor um, Doctor uh, Zanzabi, is because when you, if and when you get to residency, they're expecting they're they're expecting a lot from you because now you're getting paid as a first year PGY PGY one resident. So those three three months, six months of work you know, could have been applied to an elective or to a rotation that you would have learned a lot, especially with whatever specialty you're going into. So just to take away from this, honestly, paper-wise, yes, you're in, you're in there. School's giving you the credit. Um, getting into a job, I mean, I don't know what kind of job you're looking for. I would just focus on applying for when the time comes to residency, make sure everything is up and running. And that's about it. But uh, if you have any issues or concerns, make sure school's okay with it and move on. I mean, the whole point is to experience, right? You have to learn because you will be expected expected to know quite a bit on a first-year residency, whatever specialty you choose, by the way. Remember that. Never forget that. And, you know, if I can, we'll end it on this one last tip that I have is if you have questions about whether something counts towards your goal or if it's going to bite you in the butt down the road, don't come to Reddit and ask people because and no offense to anyone on Reddit, but they don't know. You need to go to your school. You need to contact governing bodies who can say yes or no, because someone can give you wrong advice and you might move forward. And then you're really going to pay the price when you might have to go back and do something. So just call the governing bodies, call your school, get the facts straight from the horse's mouth. And then you don't have to worry. You could sleep peacefully at night. All right. And to get the ECFMG certification, you need step one, CKCS. Yes, is not there now. OET. So it's a lot of components involved so yeah just yeah. like what dr paul said just get the, the facts book. straight that's it yep so thank you guys for sticking around i hope that was helpful if it was do us a huge favor leave a comment in the comment section below let us know what the biggest takeaway from this video was while you're at it do us a huge favor hit that like button also subscribe set up notifications and we'll send you notifications every time we release a new video thank you all for stopping by we'll see you on the next episode bye guys Thank you all for listening. I hope you found that to be helpful. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at RealDrPaul and you can follow Dr. Stavros at RealDrStavros. 
I hope you found this episode to be helpful. If you did, please don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and leave a review so we know if you're finding the show to be helpful. We thank you for listening to the show. We know that you could be anywhere right now, but you've decided to spend your time with us. And for that, we're forever grateful. Thank you all for stopping by. We'll see you on the next episode. Oh, 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 oh,